There's an old saying, everybody loves a parade. I don't know how old it is because I think I heard it in some movie that was made long before they put color in movies. So it's an old saying. But I would like to tell you that Americans love a parade better than us. Wouldn't you say? They've got it down pat. They have a parade for everything. They have the Rose Bowl Parade, which I have not figured out what roses and bowling have to do with each other, but they celebrate it because that's important to them. They have a ticker tape parade. Now, we have something similar. It's, it's even the same letters. It's TP, but we don't throw stuff out windows, and we don't do it during the day. We do it at night around people's trees. We have our TP parades that you wake up to in the morning. If you didn't get it, it's toilet papering or TPing the house. They have the Macy's Day Parade. Who is Macy and why does Santa always show up at her parade? She must be something special. But we have Labor Day Parade. Ever thought about that? Your union fights so that you'll get paid for every hour you work and then they demand you show up and walk for free in a parade. Isn't that a little bit of a problem there? We have the Stanley Cup Parade or let's say we don't have the Stanley Cup Parade, not since I was born anyways. I believe the day I die will be the day we have the Stanley Cup parade because I was born in May, the year that we won the Stanley Cup, and we haven't won one since. It's my fault. I take all responsibility for the Leafs' drought. This year, maybe? I, I give up. It's not worth it. Parades are public displays of emotion, but they're not always good displays of emotion. Or they may be good for us because it's morning, but they're not always happy displays. We have parades during Remembrance Day. And those are times of deep sadness. Although we rejoice at the freedom we have, we are saddened at the cost. We have the journey that the coffin takes at the end of life. That is a parade. It's interesting. We, uh, I remember with my parents, my dad would pull over when a hearse went by. And as a kid, dad, why are we stopping? Well, you'd let the hearse go by and the procession go through. That doesn't happen anymore in the Toronto area, but it still happens out in the country. But then you realize the difference between you following the hearse and those on the side. Your emotion is different. It's raw. They're just being reverent to what you're going through. Parades can be a mixture of emotions. They parade war criminals through the streets in some places, but they also parade war captives through the streets. The feeling's totally different. There's anger at the war criminals. And then there's the deep sadness of those who have been captured often Prisoners of war were marched in front of everybody. And imagine the feeling of being caught and not knowing your future. That's not a special parade for you, but it can be for the captors. You see, parades are a bunch of emotion, not always positive. So I don't know why they say everyone loves a parade. But when it's a positive one, they're kind of fun to watch, aren't they? Today is parade day. It's the Christian parade day. It's Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem in triumph. What an incredible thing to see, I'm sure. Understand that Jesus rode on a donkey. Now, to me, that's weird. I think he should be on a big white horse. Isn't that what kings ride? But that's not the culture. He was being treated like a king, laying down their garments, waving the palm branches and laying them down. Even the fact that the donkey was not his but lent to him suggests when he says, your Lord needs it, that he had a place of authority and power. Everybody loves a parade, and I bet you if you were there that day, you would have loved the parade. Matthew describes what they're saying. 
He describes, and people are saying, who is this guy? And they call him a prophet from Nazareth. Remember we talked about Jesus' name wasn't Jesus Christ. It would have been Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus Joseph's son. They didn't quite get who Jesus was, did they? He's a prophet. Well, there's been lots of prophets before, hasn't there? But they still saw him as royalty. Prophets were royalty. In in some ways, they were royalty. Although they weren't the king, those who prophesied often served the king and were held in high regard. And Jesus would have been the first big prophet they would have seen. The one that truly proved that he had something more than someone just showing up and saying stuff. But it wouldn't be long before there'd be a second parade. A donkey carried Jesus in. Jesus carried a cross out of Jerusalem. Everybody does love a parade because at both parades, people were cheering. The second parade, there were people cheering, people excited about what was happening, and there were people mourning. It was no longer a king, but a convicted criminal who would walk out those gates to be crucified. I would say the loudest people that were heard were those who were mourning and weeping. Luke says it this way. In Luke chapter 23, 27 through 31, a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, blessed are the barren women and the wombs that have never bore and the breasts that have never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and the hills cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry. Everybody loves a parade, especially the first one. The first one would have had the 12 disciples there, his closest followers. It also would have had people that would have shown up for different events. They would be Jesus' followers, but their commitment level was not the same as the disciples. Not in the sense they weren't committed to Jesus, but they were not called to be one of the 12. That's the other group that would have been there. Committed to Jesus, but maybe left their job that day early. Or maybe just took a day off to see Jesus. And then there was the mob. I like to think of them as the people that would be, in our day and age, taking selfies and buying t-shirts to say, I was at the triumphal entry parade. They'd be posting pictures of themselves with Jesus in the background, somehow like this on the donkey. That's the type of people they were. They just joined any big thing. They wanted to say they were there. The second parade was incredibly different. No longer was it 12 disciples, but 11. One had betrayed the master. One would kill himself for what he did. And those 11 were nowhere to be seen. At least we don't hear much about them during that parade. We don't know if they were hiding in the doorways, if they had totally disappeared, or if they're hiding behind some trees, or maybe they're blending in, but they said nothing. There is no record of his followers saying anything, at least the closest one, except for one group, and that was the women that mourned. And I wonder to myself, why? Why were the men not mourning? Why were they not crying out? I'm wondering if it was fear. I'm wondering if their culture would have said, remember, women were not held in high regard in that culture. There was an old Jewish prayer that said, thank you, God, I'm not a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. That's the culture they lived in. Maybe the women cried and got away with it because they said, those are just emotional women. But I think the women got it right. What a horrific crime. Sending an innocent man to his death. But there was the mob again. 
Same thing, taking their selfies is what I'm going to use as our modern equivalent. Buying the t-shirt, I was at the crucifixion. They were proud to be there. I can pitch them albering their way to the front as they crucified Jesus to get a drop of blood on them to say they saw him killed. They loved this parade. It was exciting for them. They were getting rid of this fellow that people followed that they didn't want to be followed. That crucifixion site must have been horrific. The insults that were yelled, those would be the people yelling out, ha ha, you say you save people? You can't even save yourself. And I'm sure there were other things coming out of their mouths that would have been horrific and disgusting. But what were the words of Jesus? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Love in its purest form. Love in its purest form, not relying on other people to respond, but love was given as a gift with no strings attached. Two parades, one of adoration, one of hate, one that made Jesus out to be a hero and one that made him out to be a despised criminal, but both drew the same response. Jesus simply loved. Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus was walking into Jerusalem to be killed and walking out of Jerusalem to be killed. He knew both times. Let's not fool ourselves. The love that Jesus showed was still in light of what he knew what would happen to him. Jesus gave love regardless of what was about to happen. And Jesus still loves regardless of what we do. 1 John 4 7 through 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Those who were present at the two parades, the one that took place before the crucifixion as he entered and the one that took place before the crucifixion as he exited Jerusalem, saw God's love in all its perfection lived out. But seeing it and hearing it is not enough. There is a response just to say that Jesus, loved, Jesus loves us is not enough. Just to repeat his words is not enough. I would suggest those of us who say we follow Jesus today, we can explain Jesus' love in terms of John 3.16, God so loved the world he gave his only son. His son was Jesus. He died, we're saved because of that. We can call that love. But do we fully embrace it? Do we fully understand it? Are we any more understanding of God's love than the people who stood along those parade routes? Let's try and understand God's love better today. The first part of understanding God's love is that look, we look deeper in these two parades and we see Jesus the hero, Jesus the hated, but Jesus the one who always loved. If you want to understand love, understand that that love is not conditional. The love is given regardless of response. To hate or to worship Jesus is to hate or worship God. But regardless of that, God is love. It is his character. In his holiness, in his perfection, God loves. Which means part of perfection is true, unconditional love. Part of holiness is true, unconditional love. 
we are to be people who love like God. Because it's the ultimate imitation of our creator. Make no mistake, he did it first, though. I don't know why John repeats it over and over again. I'm kind of looking at it going, why does John keep saying, it's not that we loved him, but he loved us first. And I'm thinking, maybe it's the invite. If I think I love God, therefore he loves me, it requires me to continually love God, and I'm not sure I do that all the time. It makes me the inviter of God to love. But if we flip that on its head and say that God loves us, inviting us to love him back, it allows his perfection to dictate what love is. And even at our worst, when we do not love, we are still loved. I think it's important to understand that love, true pure love, is given regardless. And God did it first. God made his creation, said it is good, and he loved his creation and made a plan. It amazes me that in Genesis, we hear that God already has a plan for sin. He didn't go, oh my goodness, they ate the fruit. He went, I got a plan. The serpent will bite the heel, but the foot will crush the serpent. We already know that God had a plan for sin. That's how big his love was. It wasn't an accident that Jesus came. He was planning that. He was planning to give up his only son. To understand love is to say we love without condition. The responsibility to love is on the person who's giving love, not on the person receiving it. Whatever they do does not matter. We still love. The second part of understanding love is that love makes seen what cannot be seen. I like this part. John says no one has seen God. But then talks about when we love, love is made complete. We see a glimpse of God. Jesus came and we saw God in the flesh, but that's not a full glimpse of God. No one can see God and live. Moses said, I want a glimpse, I want a glimpse. And he was protected. He never got to see God face to face. Those who saw Jesus saw God wrapped in human form. They could not see his full purity because they would have died. But we, with the Spirit of God in us, can love and actually introduce people to God. We may not see him. In that fact, we won't see him fully until we die. But others can see him through our love. To understand love is to live out being what God is to one another. God revealed himself in love, and God wants us to reveal him in love through his Spirit. The third part of understanding love is the effect love has on us. It is changing. God offered his love. We can reject it or accept it. That's that's up to us, but he still offered it. Those who rejected Jesus went on to cheer at the crucifixion. Those who accepted his love would have cheered at the first parade, but the second one would have mourned or even stayed quiet. As an aside, I find that sad. I, I see myself in Peter so often disappearing, afraid, saying I love Jesus and I know that would be true in my heart but scared of the ramifications. I do believe that a lot of us are Peters. We would do anything for God but there's certain points where we become afraid. There is more to God's love than just understanding it exists and being able to explain it though. It's important to remember that for those who reject God, forget there's nothing more to God's love. Because they're not going to accept it. God keeps offering it, but they'll never find more. Those who accept it must act. He did it first, no strings attached. To truly understand, we must respond. 
I love the words God love, God's love is made complete or perfect in us when we love. We complete a circle. God loves without condition. We accept his love. We give out his love without condition and therefore we are tied back into God and made complete. We become as God is. People who love without condition. It's so important to recognize that it's not just about being loved. God loved first. As the verse we heard before, God loved while we were still sinners, still far off, far away. Before we were born, God loved. Before this world was made, God loved and created out of love. And when the world walked away from sin, God still loved. So he started it out, but we must respond. We must act as he did. The completion, the sense of perfection when we love. Maybe we need to look for that more often. Don't just do it. Take a moment at the end of each day and say, God, have I loved like you? God, show me. I think you'll have a sense of God when you live out his calling. A sense of being made complete. Yes, we are being made perfect. We are not perfect, but what a joy. If each day you looked at who you ran into, who you met, and said, God, how could I love them better? Did I love them? And complete that circle. John repeats these same ideas. I find this section of scripture tough to preach on because he seems to be repeating himself. But repetition, especially in Bible times, was meant it's important. I say it over and over again. Don't lose what I'm saying. John again repeats it, but then he adds something to it. In 1 John 4, 16 through 19, it says this. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So when we love, when we live it out, it, it should be exciting for us, shouldn't it? When we love, we actually know what's going to happen. This is loving like God. This is not when we fall in love with the cute girl in, in class, in high school. This is a love that says it doesn't matter if it's the cute girl. It doesn't matter who it is, we just love. But one of the confusing parts is because we live in a society that uses the word love flippantly and often romantically, we don't understand love. So when we hear that, that love casts out fear or there's no fear in love, we think, well, I've been a little afraid. I don't know about you, but there's times I've loved and been afraid of rejection, hurt. There's been times I've tried to love people that don't love me and it hurts. And there is some fear. What will happen? Well, if that was perfect love, would it cast out fear? Let me propose to you that I do not have perfect love and neither do you. The perfect love that casts out fear is the love of God. Only God can love in such a manner that all fear is gone. I don't fear tomorrow. I may be afraid of what happens, but I don't fear. I am not afraid to die. I often say the best standard for living is I'm not afraid to die, therefore I can go out and live. I can love. Because I'm not afraid of judgment. I'm not afraid that God has something waiting for me to get me back. Perfect love, the love of God given unconditionally through his son, casts out all fear. Because anyone who believes in him, makes his love complete by loving like him, has no fear 
of judgment. If we want to align ourselves with God, if we want to be perfect in God's love, we have to accept God's love. But we have to live God's love. We have to be a loving people without condition. That's what I find tough. I can do it for a little while. I don't know about you. I can be pretty unconditional for the first five minutes. But I've had enough of turning the other cheek about five minutes later. Let's be honest. This is a lifelong journey. To be like God is a lifelong journey that we will not complete until we're actually dead and he makes us like him. But that's no excuse. We need to love unconditionally like God regardless of what happens. We need not to give up because then God is demonstrated through our love and the world gets to see God just a little bit and then a little bit more and a little bit more. I want to sum this up because John keeps repeating himself about love. I can read one more paragraph here and get the same message across. You're probably thinking we just spent, what, 20, 30 minutes of him saying it. He could have just read a paragraph. But you get to see my smiling face while I read it. So let's do this here. I love this. This just wraps it up. But I love the fact that John just keeps going out. Love, 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 love like God. Love your brother. He doesn't stop. It's got to be important. And it's got to be something that maybe we're not so good at. John finishes up the chapter here, or where we put the chapter marking at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. So no mistake, it is God that started this whole thing off. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. That's strong language. He is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he sees or can see cannot love God who cannot be seen. And he has given us this commandment, whoever loves God must also love his brother. God loves me, makes it easier to love him back, doesn't it? Because that's a response. But boy, it's a big command to say, love your brother when they don't love us back. To align with God is to say, I need to learn how to love. I need to demonstrate Jesus Christ. I need to be firm in my actions when firmness is needed. I also need soft and caring at the same time. I need to tell the truth in love. The love is about truth. But love is central. Love is who God is. And love is given out unconditionally. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please, I beg you, teach us unconditional love. God, I want to be able to stand in front of you, not afraid of judgment. And God, I, I know that's true, but if I really look at my life, it's kind of scary because I don't always love my brother. God, teach us to love our brothers and sisters unconditionally. Teach us to care for our neighbors so much that we share your truth. Thank you for loving us first because, God, there is no reason in my limited, in our imperfect love that you would come to us. But, God, you came to us anyway. Thank you for loving us. God, help us to love you and others. In your name we pray. Amen.